welcome to another edition of Mr. Nice Guy. Ooh, and Slowy. Oh. <laughs> and I'm joined this evening by um, composer, uh, bassist, uh, singer-songwriter. Um, he His solo project is called Adopt a Highway. And uh, with it, he dropped one of my favorite records of wow. 2020, Thanks. Coaxing a Ghost into the Room. Mm -hmm. um, he also just recently uh, released a 23-minute-long composition called Music for Migration of Gestures, um, which you can listen to on Bandcamp. Um, he's also uh, plays in Lady Cannon, uh, Tontine Ensemble, uh, uh, Argo Pelter, Tony Catania Trio, and uh, uh, Field Report. And wow. yes, I, I think I, I think I know that there. So uh, I'm excited to talk to him about his passions, artistry, and why he does what he does. Barry Paul Clark, thank you for joining me tonight. Thanks for having me, Ben. This is exciting. Hmm. Sure is, man. How are you doing? How was your day? Uh, today was okay. Um, I spent it how I'm spending a lot of, or have been spending a lot of days in the last uh, year, almost exactly, as we're approaching, you know, um, kind of the year mark of everything shifting significantly but um my day-to-day -day is usually i wake up in the morning i'll make some breakfast for my partner and i i will uh, make some coffee i'll do some reading i like to read a lot and then usually in the afternoon i'm either practicing or you know working on music i've been uh, teaching music lessons virtually through all this so i might have some students in the afternoon and then in the evening, I'll uh, watch some films or I'll play some video games online with some friends, you know. Um, nights like tonight, my, my partner is a, she's a nurse. Um, she's a nurse in the surgical ICU at St. Luke's and she works overnight. So like, I'm just kind of in the house by myself with our three cats. Nice. So. <laughs> doing a little yeah. podcast, yeah. Yep, and here I am doing a podcast, so. Nice. Love it. Uh, what was for breakfast today? Um, let's see. Today was some banana yogurt peanut butter smoothies and then the coffee. Yeah, oh, it's, usually, it's usually smoothies or like oatmeal and fruit. Man, that yeah. sounds that sounds fire. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to live that big boy healthy lifestyle. So. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. Well, man, that's got to be one of the best sounding smoothies. Good, uh, I, I love, you know, I'm not like a huge banana guy, like just by itself, sure. but definitely um, banana in a smoothie and peanut yeah. butter. Like, hey man, that's how you get that little bit of protein in there. Hey, can I come over and have a smoothie, <laughs> man? Yeah, we can do that. <laughs> hey, yeah. Mm. Well, um, I'm uh, glad you had a wholesome day. Yeah. Uh, I today, um, man, it's been an exhausting week. Um, it was Bandcamp Friday, so uh -huh. a lot of a uh, lot of drops for breaking and entering this week. Um, yeah. So we've been really busy uh, fitting all that in this week. But uh, today, I actually um, I wrote a uh, press release for someone who you've actually worked with before, uh, Kaylee Conway. Oh yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah. Shout out to her. She's, yeah. she's amazing Absolutely. and. Uh, uh, I'm doing some freelance PR right now. Um, so uh, I wrote her up uh, 
press release this morning uh, for our upcoming single and video this Friday. Yeah, which she she shared that video with me a little while ago, and it's it's real. I really hope a lot of people see it because it's really yeah, good. It's really it good. Is. The song's really great. The visuals you did in the video are really awesome. It makes you miss like stripped down DIY shows for oh, sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And then uh, after that, uh, my friend and I, we actually went on a walk in Seven Bridges. Oh, sure. Grand Park. I love that. Oh, man. It was yeah. my first time down there. I've oh, never dude. been there. So nice. Dude, I like, if I, okay, if I would have like discovered that as a kid, like uh -huh. I would have, that would have been like my, like escapism like it would have been my like narnia like as a yeah kid. I, I would so, have so much fun it's so like yeah and today was a really good day to do it i imagine it was probably a little uh little muddy maybe oh yeah it was very yeah. muddy <laughs> yeah but no, I, that's still really nice that's nice i definitely almost ate shit a couple yeah. times <laughs> um but yeah it was perfect it was got up to 60 today yeah. Um, so we had a nice walk, uh, took cool. some pictures. And then uh, on the way back, I stopped at Zocalo mm. and uh, went to the Dairyland food truck where I ate a delicious burger and fries. And uh, then this afternoon, um, actually, I published your uh, your new release from Friday. I published that oh, on the site today. Thank you. You're welcome. It was very beautiful. We'll talk about it in a bit. For sure. Um, Talked to mom, made some dinner, and here we are. Nice. So what, what, man, like, how about that day? That That's a pretty a solid day, isn't That's it? That's a solid day. What we talked about on Mr. Nice Guy, we talk love and fear, passion, and creativity. And mm -hmm. so, so, Barry, we, um, as we were kind of uh, talking a little bit before we started rolling here, um, we have, uh, we met in passing one time at a Lady Cannon show at right. the old Hacienda. Right. Uh, located on the east side and um yeah i am a big fan of pretty much everything martha does like she's Absolutely. a wonderful musician works with wonderful musicians as well um but yeah i mean i i got wind i've had wind of you um you know first because you know i i've known a field report for a long time but then like really hearing like more of your the the pro other projects you're involved in like I've had Devin Drobka on the show before mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, he's talked about Argo Pelter, sure. but man, adopt a highway. Like I, you've been making like some of my favorite music in the last year, man. Uh, wow. thank you for that. Oh yeah. I listen to a lot of records, but coaxing a ghost was just like, uh, it was, um, it was just like very spectacular. And I'm really interested in how you, idealized like some of the sonic cascades that uh you really built in that record um we have a lot to talk about you know sure. it's yeah. <laughs> um yeah. especially, if, especially if that's a start if that's like more of a starting point for adopt a highway that record because like yeah there's there's kind of a long um yeah there's there's some there's some story and some lineage behind getting to that place so i'm happy to talk about all of that yeah yeah, we definitely will. So, but first, um, usually we um, we just start with a simple question. So, are you born and raised in Milwaukee? I wasn't born here. Um, the kind of the short end of it is, you know, ninety five. 
percent of my family was born and raised or was born in Wisconsin. My father was in the Air Force, so we moved around a bunch when I was a kid. Mm. And my two older brothers and my mom and him, uh, my dad got stationed in Melbourne, Florida. So I was actually born in Florida, mm. but only lived there for like maybe a year. Don't have a lot of memories of that. Then he got stationed in Aurora, Colorado. We lived there for a couple of years, some of my very early childhood memories there. And then he got stationed at K.I. Sawyer Air Force Base in Northern Michigan. This was in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, but then he um, retired from the military or left the military. And that's when we moved to Wauwatosa. Mm -hmm. So I, li I lived in Wauwatosa from when I was like six until I moved away to college. And then I went to the uh, Manus College of Music, which is a part of New School University in New York City. And I got a degree in classical music performance from there on upright bass. Sure. Um, so I, I lived in New York until um, the fall of 2009. And then I moved back to Milwaukee. Um, and I was living in you know, River West for a handful of years before my mom was getting ready to sell the house that we grew up in in Tosa. So I moved back in with her for a summer to kind of help her get that house fixed up to get back on the market. And then um, my partner and I were renting a duplex in Tosa. Uh, her and I both grew up in Tosa. So we were renting a duplex and then we eventually, um, we bought a house um, in the summer of 2016. So we have a house together in Tosa. Oh, and so you're in Tosa here. now? Yeah, I've been in Tosa ever since. Okay, so you have had a lot of changes of scenery. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely consider like the Milwaukee area home because it's like where it was like my formative years. And, you know, when I was in, in bands in high school, we used to play on the east side at like the Globe um, yeah. and things like that, which is was Hotel Foster and then it turned into something. That's where uh, uh, Mark Solheim uh, used to do the booking yep. there, didn't he? That's yeah. right. Yep. So, and actually, speaking of Devin Dropka, I mean, him and I went to middle school and high school together, and he was one of the first people that I started playing music with. I mean, we've been playing music together since we were like 14 years old. So him and I used to be in bands and, you know, go to shows on the east side when there used to be more all-ages spaces and play shows and stuff. And so I definitely consider, you know, like the Milwaukee area my home. Um, and then, yeah, I came full circle and I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm living in a house that's like four blocks from the house I grew up in. <laughs> so oh, yeah. yeah, it's like, it's, yeah, people talk about full circle and I'm like, no, you haven't seen a circle like this. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I mean, there are definitely some detours. Oh yeah, but... I mean, yeah. And I, I can, you know, I can trace back all these threads that, you know, sort yeah. of like led me to this moment and like, it's yeah, life is such an interesting journey. So oh yeah, totally. I, I I admire that. I I mean I grew up in Illinois. I grew up outside of Chicago. Okay. Um, but I've been in Milwaukee for seven years. I came up here for school. Mm -hmm. And I've been thinking about like how you get the question a lot, especially like as you're getting in as I'm in my mid-20s now. Like you get the question a lot of like, oh well, like are you gonna stay here for a while? Or like are you like do you see yourself here for a long time? Mm -hmm. And Honestly, like Milwaukee is a great home base city. Yeah. Like I feel like I definitely want to travel a ton. Sure. Many places I want to go. But I don't know. It's just something so like 
welcoming and accessible and inclusive and just the, Milwaukee is just a, like it's a, it's just a really easy comfortable city to navigate like I don't sure. feel like it's super complicated yeah um but and that's why like you know I don't I don't really have an answer when people ask me that I'm like I have no reason to leave you know right exactly and I think at least coming from um someone who's made uh you know music a career from that sort of perspective um you know I found my my experiences on the east coast in New York City you know the, all those niches have been filled and people have worked their lives to like fill those niches so it's really hard to find like the community support in those sort of like really densely populated cities plus the cost of living is so high that you have to be like working so hard just to live where in a city like Milwaukee you know we've always at least as far back as I can remember Milwaukee has really strived to have its own sort of cultural identity and anytime there are people living and creating here, there's like some support and the price of living is low enough that you can, you know, work comfortably, but also focus on your craft comfortably as well. And then when that craft becomes something that you're able to share and express with other people, there's a support system there. And it's, it's safe enough um, artistically to try things because there's a lot of niches that haven't really been filled. So you can go and, and try things and it's like, even if it doesn't work, it's not like you're going to be, you know, extricated from any sort of right. thing, you know, it's, it's, it's safe. It's, it's safe yeah. artistically here. Yeah. People are encouraging. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Oh man. I, I couldn't imagine like navigating that comfortable balance in New York. Like that. Yeah. Well, man, for me, you know, I was there as a full-time student, um, and then for about six months, you know, out of school, I tried to like get going, but it's like, yeah, I was like waiting tables and then like, you know, it's just, it's so, it's so competitive and like, especially coming from a classical music conservatory, it's like the, the level of competition just felt so negative. And I sort of, it became clear to me, like, near the end of my degree of, of getting my degree that I was like I don't know if I want to live like the competition lifestyle of like taking auditions around the country and and you know competing against 300 other people for one chair in an orchestra where I'm more interested in like collaboration and community and like new music stuff and sort of being on the cusp of something rather than you know fighting for a space yeah. to, to to grip onto it just yeah. and that's that's not a, a bash on people who do go for that because that is if you if you are that level of skill and you're able to get those positions and hold on to them I mean you're set but for me it just like the, the, it just mentally was just the negative yeah. negative really I get that you know some people some people definitely like that comp hyper competitiveness fuels mm -hmm. them you know fuels yeah. their ambition Absolutely. that's cool but yeah I like I, I definitely like respect the much less pressurized approach to just, you know, doing yeah, it. Yeah, it's an old cliche, but like a rising tide raises all boats kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah. like if everybody can sort of have a boat and everyone's sort of, you know, it's like as, as the community is lifted up, like everybody's there along with it rather than someone crawling mm -hmm. over you to get to the top. Right. 
we're all eating. That's right. Yep. <laughs> yes. So, so Barry, um, so um, you mentioned like, you know, going to school um, mm-hmm. for music and everything, but I'd, I'd love to hear um, kind of like what you grew up listening to. Like what, what did you have playing in the house? Um, what role did music kind of play um, in your life? Like when you were younger? Well, I was fortunate to have, you know, two parents who were very open-minded with um, access to music. Um, I'm the only like artistically driven or like musical person in my immediate family. I have aunts and uncles who were, who were kind of part of that and cousins and stuff who were kind of part of that world. But um, my parents grew up in the 70s. So there was a lot of like classic rock records around like my dad taught me how to use his um, Akai uh, or Technic stereo system. And like, I would just listen to a lot of like Rush and like old U2. Um, they were both big Beatles fans. So I just kind of had this like growing up, like people growing up in the seventies sort of stuff was like the exposure early on. But I also had two older brothers who, um, are much more athletic. They were into a lot of competitive sports and stuff. And they were both into that, you know, 90s hip hop stuff. So I was exposed to a lot of like Tupac and like Wu-Tang from them. I also, I mean, I credit my oldest brother. Um, he bought a bunch of CDs one time and, and a couple of them he didn't like and he passed them off to me. And one of them was Nine Inch Nails, The Downward Spiral. Oh, cool. So like, that exposure to that was like the first time I was exposed to like really aggressive like music so it kind of brought me into that world as well as like the use of electronics um so I was really into like kind of that harder stuff when I was younger um was really into Metallica I skateboarded a bunch when I was younger so there was a lot of like the punk kind of culture as well but as I kind of got into high school and stuff and kind of was starting to take music um, very, very seriously. That's when I really started to get into the classical music world, um, a lot of jazz stuff, but then still kind of keeping in line with the electronic stuff. Um, I mean, I just, I was just posting about this not too long ago because Daft Punk decided to split, but that album Homework, their first album, I first heard uh, Defunct in like, a movie from like 1997 and when I first heard that I was like whoa and I like immediately gravitated towards that and dived into that world so Daft Punk kind of led me into like other French music electronic music like Mr. Wazo and then I was getting into like Aphex Twin as well as like a lot of like jungle and drum and bass um so yeah it was it was pretty um pretty broad. Um, I had I had some friends in high school that were really into turntablism. So I was listening to a lot of like scratch records and stuff. And then um, when I knew that I wanted to pursue music, I kind of I kind of shot for what I thought was the biggest umbrella. And I decided to pursue um, a classical music performance because I kind of felt, I mean, at the time, at least kind of being a little more naive, but I kind of felt that like classical music was kind of the umbrella that everything kind of reigned under. Um, I know that that's now not the truth, but like, at least it, it led me, it led me into a world that was much broader than I had already, um, kind of understood and been exposed yeah. to. So. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So, 
when did uh, when did you actually start playing instruments? Well, when I kind of did this, a similar route that a lot of kids do in, in fourth grade, they my elementary school had an orchestra program and I right away wanted to play upright bass. But at the time, because again, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the youngest of three uh, boys in the family and no one else was an instrument player. So we didn't realize, um, like I told my mom I wanted to play upright bass and she didn't realize that you could keep one at school and then you rent one to keep at home. And in fourth grade, I probably weighed like 60 pounds. I was just a tiny little thing. So she was like, there's no way you'll be able to carry that thing home even though I lived like three blocks from school. So I started with the viola, but I had an uncle who was a guitarist and he had a bass guitar. So my uncle gave a bass guitar to my dad and he gave that to me. So I started playing bass guitar and viola when I was in the fourth grade. Then when I got to middle school, sixth grade, there are no bass players in the orchestra. That time, a little wiser to how the music programs work. So that's when I jumped at, at playing upright bass. So, you know, I've been playing upright bass for like 22 years now, um, and then a little bit longer on electric bass. So, so you know, music in schools, like it needs to be there, it needs to be there. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, I, <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree. I was a band kid myself. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, so the upright bass uh, for a fourth grader, um, that is a, that thing's a beast. Yeah, it is. Even even in their little mini sizes for the kids, like that's a, yeah. you know, you're standing up with the thing. It's, it's big. You know? yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, certainly. Um, so outside of school, um, like what was your first band? God. I mean, I remember like, jamming with people when I was in middle school and you know just like it's 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 that time in your life where it's like when you're a teenager it's like when somebody else is doing a thing that's similar to you mm. you're immediately like hey let's do that thing together so yeah. I, I played with a bunch of people but I guess the first band that like started to take traction the ones that I was like playing on the east side with was this group called on a moment's notice it was just kind of like post emo y thing. It was kind of like small brown bike or hot water music, if you're familiar with any of those bands. Yeah. It was kind of like a harder, you know, louder kind of thing. But, you know, we were teenagers, so it was pretty emo. Yeah. Um, but those, those, those were bands. That was a band that, you know, we were actually playing shows with. Played a couple shows outside of Milwaukee, like around Wisconsin. So we were like, oh, you know, we're playing in Stevens Point, you know, like that kind of thing. But um, you guys are blowing up. <laughs> yeah, we're blowing up. Yeah. But um, yeah. And then, you know, those um, those people that I had those like early um, creative experiences with, like one of them, I was like, I was saying, you know, Devin Drobka, we were playing music together back then. And then, you know, other other folks that I, that I played music with in high school, it's like I'm still very close to those people because those formative years in that creative experience are so bonding, you know, like yeah. whether it's theater or band or orchestra or whatever you might be doing, you know, it's like, it's such a, yeah, it's such a formative experience that it's like really kind of a part of you. So. It, yeah. I get that. Like, I think, and that's because of a lot of the personal growth you're grow going through as a right. kid, as a Absolutely. teenager, you know, like it's uh, it's a lot to digest by yourself like on your yeah. own so yeah. you find that camaraderie with uh 
your peers that are doing similar things um for sure uh yeah um tell me a little bit about from from your uh perspective like in the 2000s so well for one i guess what were the years that um you were in new york i lived in new york from 2005 almost to the end of 2009 so a little over 40 years okay okay sure um did you uh did you like when you were in college i mean obviously it's it's demanding um and you only have so much time um but yeah like did you get out in like the music scene in new york at all like while you're out there i mean really lightly you know like you said i mean i was a full-time student so it was pretty demanding and usually like a lot of the performances that i was going to were more like things i was hearing about through school so it was more like orchestral and like chamber music uh, kind of stuff. But I mean, I did get a chance to see, you know, bands at the Bowery and Knitting Factory, um, a couple warehouse shows here and there in Brooklyn. But like, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm I heard the, uh, the Stone, which was John Zorn's old club, but now he moved that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was, I, I, I tried, but yeah, it, it was really tough, you know, being in that conservatory environment and competition. It's like, you know, if, if you weren't practicing, someone else was, and they were going to beat yeah. you. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. but, you know, like, I, I, I tried, I tried. Sure. Yeah. What, um, yeah, so what, what would happen after college, after being in New York? So... Like I said, I was kind of, I, I graduated in the spring of 2009 and I was out there for the summer, um, some of the fall, you know, just, I was waiting tables. I was trying to find and connect with gigs, but you know, my, my grace period for the student loans was up and my lease was up on an apartment I was living in. And I, I had a good friend um, from high school that I moved that uh, came out with, to New York with me um, in my sophomore year. And we lived together for a few years even when we moved back uh, to Wisconsin, um, went to high school together. He's an electronic musician as well. So we were making music together and um, he moved back because, you know, he, he had ran into some financial situations and then, yeah, it's like, I didn't really have the money to, to stay out there. So I, at, at the time when I moved back to, Mo to Milwaukee, I was just like, I felt pretty defeated because I was yeah. like, man, I did this thing to go out there. And then I thought, you know, in my 18 year old brain that I would be out here for a while, but became less and less apparent that that was a realistic choice, a realistic option. Um, and even by the, the end of the four or so years that I was out there, I mean, the, the day to day kind of mental toll was just really, really kind of heavy. But when I moved back, like I said, it kind of felt like I was defeated at first, but then, you know, being in Milwaukee when you're 23 as opposed to 17 is sort of a different world. And then it was, it was, you know, it was 2000, end of 2009, 2010, when things were really just, there was really a lot of like this sort of art identity starting to really get lifted up. Like Radio Milwaukee was just around the corner and like things were just really, it felt like there was like a new sort of wave coming. So, so being here, coming back at that time and then being kind of right immersed right into the community and the scene at that time, it, 
it just it felt so much it's felt so different so it didn't take long for me to realize like oh this is this is going to work to be in milwaukee it's going to work to be in milwaukee be a musician i had a music teacher from high school that connected me with um a lot of the regional symphonies so i was able to join and continue to play with some of the uh, regional symphony orchestras so i was i was really fortunate to come back start working in music i mean i was working part-time jobs as well as well but slowly i was starting to build um you know a career and and that's really all what it takes is is time you know you have to build these connections with people you have to continue to say yes to things to get involved so then more people know about you know your skills and your and your you know personality and then and then you get the call on things you know and you just build and develop relationships from there and that's how you kind of get it where it's at totally yeah 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 obviously so i don't i don't play music but i went through something similar still as like a aficionado of local music and mm -hmm. getting into just meeting people after college because it's a very bleak time and they don't it doesn't prepare you enough for just how unstructured and uncertain like that post-college those post-college blues are yeah and um yeah i definitely had to like go out and meet people before i could be like oh yeah i'm a music journalist you know like right or I'm a podcaster, like, mm -hmm. like, who do I know? I don't know yeah. anybody, no one knows me. That leads us to uh, various projects you're involved in today. So sure. yeah, we could we can start with Adopt the Highway. Um, so yeah, uh, I guess I'd love to kind of hear like what your idea was of what this project was gonna be when you started it. Sure, and it actually, I mean, it goes back pretty far. I mean, and it, like back when I was in high school, I was, messing around with music software and, um, you know, making these, I was really into like break core and kind of like harder electronic stuff. So I was like making some pretty aggressive things. And I came up with this moniker adopt a highway because I was trying to have a term that expresses the idea of like caring about something that can't possibly give any care back. So the idea of like, oh, adopt a highway, like I'm going to go out and clean this road, I'm going to make it look really nice, but that that object can't return that sort of um, yeah. feeling or emotion. So I sort of stuck with that. And I mean, the, the I've always considered the project to be experimental, even though that's kind of a broad term, because like, that's what I found myself doing was, you know, experimenting with software, eventually with hardware and just trying to, you know, create. And um, I was doing it, you know, through college. And then I started releasing music shortly after. Um, so I, my first like official Adopt a Highway release was in 2010. Um, and yeah, it, it, it connected me with uh, my buddy Marcos, who uh, um, has a, a, creates electronic music under the name Lorne. He was in Milwaukee with me for a while. He was the one that I lived out, with, out in New York with for a bit, you know, and he's gone on to have a really successful uh, music production career. And, um, you know, we were making music together and that connected me with other people in the music community. So that, that project Adopt the Highway has always been a solo thing. And, um, 
it's just connected me with, with people. Um, I got brought on to do this, um, this unlooped project that Tariq Moody from 88.9 has curated uh, a few times. And the first one that he did was this, uh, he, this like string quartet renditions of Jay Dilla tunes along with a, a turntablist and old man Malcolm and then Dave Olson was producing the beats. And through that, I met Alan Russell. And Alan Russell is the violinist in uh, the Tontine Ensemble. So I met him through that. And then we started making music together. And um, then Tariq is also responsible for connecting me with Chris Porterfield uh, through another Unloop, the Unloop first Marvin Gaye event I played with Chris. And then um, it was Chris, Devin, and I. And that's how Argo Pelter got together. And then that's how Chris brought me on for Field Report. So it's, yeah, it's these sort of like connective yeah. little stepping stones that kind of have put me in all these places. And, and also, you know, giving Devin Dropka credit because he was living out in New York for a while. And then when he moved back to Milwaukee, he started this series called Unrehearsed MKE, which is a monthly improvised music series. And then he brought me and my friend Steve Gallum on to curate that um, and kind of take that over and co-curate it. And we just had our 98th event. So we've been doing it for a little over eight years, every single month. And it's improvised performers coming together. I mean, during this past year of quarantine, we've been doing it online. So it's been a lot of solo improvisers, but I mean, I've met, and this is not an exaggeration, hundreds of artists through that series, many of whom I've played with, made records with, worked on music with, composed, you know, all this, all this different stuff. So yeah, it's just, it just really takes like that one-to-one -one connection a lot that, yeah. that really kind of fosters and, and, and sort of creates um, these communities and stitches these quilts of, of people together. Dude. But uh, to kind of bring it back to Adopt a Highway. So I'm, I'm making Adopt a Highway music through all of this. It's connecting me with different people. So I'm taking on a lot more projects. Um, and I, I released a record in, 2015 called a fault and then that was the last sort of official adopt a highway release before coaxing a ghost into the room so five years went by i was having just it's kind of a difficult and strange relationship with like what it meant to or what my relationship with adopt a highway was because i was working with all these other people and making all this music and um you know, I was, I was having some mental health issues that were like really preventing me from taking on music like by myself because I was so used to collaborating and curating and just creating together. And then I just had these obstacles of just not being able to get started or, you know, another real sort of difficult thing was projecting and trying to define something in my head that didn't even exist yet. So then, oh, yeah. if, you know, like it, it, the music and the, or the piece doesn't even exist yet, but I'm trying to define it. So then I can't even get started. And then when I can't even get started, I'm just like, well, then it's not worth it. So I was just like tumbling into this really difficult relationship with Adopt a Highway, but I was fortunate enough to be able to um, see a therapist for a while and then they were able to help me kind of clear out you know some of those obstacles and I was able to kind of like work around and then I was able to start making music again 
and I was just approaching it in a different way. I was using all hardware and live instruments. I've kind of took myself out of the, the software production and um, yeah, that's how the, the coaxing a ghost into the room came about. It was just, just getting started and then, you know, following the path of whatever I was creating, you know, you start with a big piece of clay, start to hack it away, it takes shape, you kind of yeah. follow what it is. And then I had a pile of stuff, you know, and then I was like, hey, I think there's a, a cohesive, yeah. you know, expression of music here. So totally. that's how that all came out. But it was, yeah, it was like five years of just like, uh, just fighting myself. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, that does like add context to a lot of like the tone. Mm -hmm. I, I, sat, I picked up from uh, your compositions on that record specifically um yeah enervation oh, um that's that was my favorite track on, oh, on that you. record Thanks. um oh yeah dude and uh, one thing i like i definitely do a lot when i'm especially just being like an intentional music listener is to like put myself in situations that kind of like match the imagery that's getting evoked as i'm listening to something and kind of honestly like it kind of like reminded me of some of the feelings you're kind of describing in terms of like where you're kind of drawing mountains that you haven't climbed or that yeah. where you're just increasingly just like putting yourself to higher and higher standards before you've even like met right. you know the you're, you're trying to like skip steps if you will and I'm really good at doing that myself as somebody with you know, mental health issues myself. And, uh, mm. and so like, I, I felt like it, a lot of some of like a lot of the music on this record just kind of felt like a lot of um, driving yourself to like the rim of your limits. Like it, it kind of felt like that. Um, yeah. Cause well, God knows I, I'm, I'm good at doing, I'm really good at doing that myself. So I just yeah. like related a lot to, um, that's why it was one of my favorites for sure. Cause I just kind of related a lot to like the way the textures kind of played with um, the emotions. So. Yeah. Well, no, that's good to hear. And like, I always feel, and I've felt more so recently since I've been able to, you know, like I said, kind of navigate some of these obstacles a little bit, but um, you know, every, sort of interpretation I think is valid because that person feels it. Yeah. So I, I, I never, I, I, my intention in putting the record out was not to say like, or not to express like, oh, this is, this is the mental health struggle that everybody needs to identify with. But it's, it is sort of refreshing to, to you know, without pushing it in everybody's face that they're like, oh yeah, I can hear that or I can feel that. You know, that, that's good to know. Some people might just think like, hey, that's a crazy beat. Or like, oh, that's a sick bass line. Or like, oh, right. what? Yeah. you know, I'm like, that's fine too. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, force anybody to feel a certain way about any of it. But it is, I mean, yeah, it's just nice to know that that people are connecting with it. Is, I mean, is, is ultimately a great feeling. And just to know that it is, you know, people are sort of identifying things that I was feeling is, is, is good too. Yeah, so. Certainly. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, that leads So the next thing would be music for um, migration of gestures, which um, as I was uh, perusing Bandcamp 
earlier this afternoon mm-hmm. as uh, um, listening to listening to it and just kind of reading a little bit about like what the art installation was and just yeah. like how it's like a call and response between movements sort of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. This was sort of your like reaction to watching that happen, right? Yeah. So Maria Gillespie, who was one of the the three artists who have been sort of, um, you know, incubating this project for many years, it was, and and she's faculty um, at at UWM as well as Nirmal Raja and Portia Cobb. But I know Maria through the sort of improvised performance community here in Milwaukee. I worked with her. She has a improvised uh, dance and music series called Hyperlocal, and I've worked with her in that um, before. And she and her partner Shannon have come a lot, come out a lot to the uh, Argo Pelter shows. So I, I, I've known her for a while, and she reached out to me when this um, project was starting to, you know, finally sort of take form. And um, yeah, I. I there's the the video projection was sort of in the corner of the Union Art Gallery at UWM and there was two panels and there were minute long segments of video and it would be like a trigger video from for example Maria and then a response video from Portia or a trigger video from Nermal and a response video you know so it's all these triggers and responses sort of interacting with each other and the whole film the whole projection is 40 minutes long but I made a 23 minute piece because the the film and the music were going to loop so initially when I was watching the initial 40 minute you know I was reacting to these certain sequences that are working together I mean I I did a lot of improvised performance as well as like random sequence generator and drone kind of stuff to, to fit to these pieces but after the music loops at 23 minutes, when when the video is done at 40 and goes back, you know the the music is going to be further along than it was at the start of the video. So there's already, or that was my sort of inclusion of the idea of gesture is that now there's this phasing of the music against the video. So now the sound might coincide with a different video, different movements, yeah. kind of thing. So, and the reason that I like I, when I was making the music, I had no intention of just releasing it because it was, you know, part of this video installation project. But be, sort of serendipitously, it the last day of the installation was that last Bandcamp Friday, last Friday, March fifth. I was I got a chance to go see the installation on Thursday, March fourth, because because of the pandemic, you know, UWM is, is had pretty tight restrictions on who and how and you know when people could go see in the gallery. So I went with my partner and we were the only ones there. We had to make an appointment, you know, it was kind of like a, this whole thing. And, I, and I, after seeing it, I was like, wow, it's great to, you know, I was there for the install, but I, I didn't get to experience like the full realization until I saw it last Thursday. And after seeing it, I was like, wow, I am gonna talk to the other artists and, and ask them if it's okay if I release this music. Um, you know, because it is a part of the, the, the collaborative work. And, and thankfully, they were all really on board because they're really appreciative of it. But I wanted to try to give a wider audience just a little bit of at least what I created and then talk about the project so people could at least sort of understand what it was. And I just thought, hey, last day of the installations, Friday, March 5th, that's a Bandcamp Friday. I want to get this music out there, pay what you want, you know, that whole thing. Um, 
so yeah and it just felt good you know because like I said if it if there wouldn't be all these restrictions and I was able to like promote it more traditionally and just say hey go see it go see it go see it I wouldn't have felt as compelled to just release it on its own but because of how it's working these days you know I thought I'm gonna release it and I'm I'm very flattered because it's been received really well and so that's good yeah great yeah that's awesome uh yeah it's interesting like the way you said that like the um uh the music kind of like overlaps the the film a little bit toward the end there because like you said it'll therefore coincide with a different gesture um in the in the film loop and it's like kind of interesting because that also sort of speaks to how sound and musical accompaniment and like you know scoring and stuff like that like plays is such a vital role in like how you are perceiving the the visuals in addition to the audio yeah and how the way you did it makes it so it's going to be different every time right that's really cool yeah well and yeah and, and i've been fortunate to um do some composition work for film and video game stuff and you know so I've, I've had a little bit of experience in the realm of of kind of what you're describing of like accompanying a visual and all that stuff and I've always especially when it comes to film I mean you don't you don't ever want to distract from the image you know you want it to accompany intensify support whatever might be going on but anytime you were pulled away from what's visually happening because of the music. I think that that's kind of a disconnect that is a little bit of a, an issue. So, um, so it was it was sort of an inspiring and fun challenge to be like, okay, how can I be reactionary but also supportive and then contribute to this idea of gesture? So that's why I thought like, well, I could just go top to bottom, forty minutes. Here we go, loop, loop, loop. But it's like, what if I did a little over the halfway point? So then as it continues to go, you know, you're several hours in and all of a sudden it's just way yeah. different, but you can still find those sort of serendipitous moments of, oh, look, I can hear that and see that, or like this, yeah. this showed up, you know? Yeah, love that. Uh, great. Oh, well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, what, so I guess, uh, what are you working on now with Adopt the Highway? Uh, what are you thinking is next? Well, um, I have a little bit of a pile of drafts. So throughout this pandemic, I have found just like uh, many other, probably every other person, just sort of a lack of motivation. You know, it's, it's, it's tough to be at home all the time. It's tough to, yeah, just try to carry along in this, in this strange and different way. Um, So I've, I've been trying to find ways to be held accountable, which I think sounds harsher than I actually mean. But what I mean is that if, if there's somebody else sort of anticipating or hoping or just wanting me to create something, I, I find more of a drive to just get started. And like I mentioned earlier, that's kind of, that's the first hurdle. It's just to get started. So if there's somebody on the other side somewhere saying, hey, let's do this thing, and I can jump over that hurdle and get started, 
And that feels good. So I've had um, some instances over this past year of some friends reaching out to me and saying like, hey, I'm going to do this thing. You want to join me? Um, one of them was um, I did uh, 25 days of improvisations on Instagram in, in, in December, just minute long improvisations. And um, that's actually how, so Maria Gillespie from the Migration of Gestures, she heard one of those and she was like, let's get him to do oh, this. Yeah. So that, that kind of connected <laughs> me to that. Yeah. But then um, I have another friend, uh, my friend Rebecca, uh, who makes music under the moniker RBKE. Uh, she's a harpist and songwriter that lives out in New York. And she has brought me in um, a couple of times to do something we call a song a day or a thing a day, where for a week, you just have to create something and then you submit it to a Dropbox folder and we sort of, you know, creatively critique and, and kind of comment on what the other people are doing. And sometimes it's just two of us, it'll be three, four of us, whatever it might be. So those types of things, when I, like I said, I'm kind of held accountable, they get me to get started on something. They put me in a place that I may not have reached without that accountability. So through those things, I've started to get a little bit of pile of some drafts that I think I'm going to continue to pursue and, and sort of, you know, hone in on and, and maybe have another, another adopt a highway release. I, you know, it could be this year, it could be next year. I, don't, I mean, I don't know. We'll see. For sure. I mean, like you said, it's, it's so hard to, like because of how unpredictable this whole past year has been like it's mm -hmm. been hard to expect anything from anyone right now right. So it happens when it happens well and you know and you know there's a couple of projects that you know lady cannon tontine argopelter i mean i haven't played with those folks in a year no. you know the last time i played with argopelter was yesterday a year ago we had our last boone and crockett show on march 9th of 2020 and it's just like I just haven't had an opportunity to play with those people. I really miss that. That's something, you know, you, you realize, we've all realized a lot of things about ourselves in this time, but I'm really realizing how important the creative collaboration and the like the cross expression of music making. I mean, of course it was a part of my life before, but it's like a part of my, soul you know like I need it so bad and I've really really missed it so these little things that I've been able to do um I was I was able to make a music video for some of the tracks on the Adopt a Highway record with my friend Mariah um you know those little collaborative things that I'm able to do just I mean it, they're just like the, the life that I just need right now um but yeah, so I just, I've just been missing a lot of that, and yeah, it's just, it's like, it's hard to stay motivated, and, and too, like, you know, Field Report released a record in April of last year, and that was long planned before we knew any of this stuff was going to hit, but it's like, we released the record, and of course, we had shows and tours and performances planned, but that all got stopped, and you know, usually I would go hit the road with some adopt to highway stuff and that's hard to do. I mean, you can't do it now. So it's weird. You know, you say we don't expect anything from anybody and that's so true. But even the, even when you do manage to get something out there, the shelf life is just so short. Yeah. You know, Dude, I've been thinking no about, way. 
Yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot lately as, you know, like the vaccines are rolling out. So, um, so you know, like people are predicting like maybe we'll have some semblance of shows by the end of this year, limited capacity most likely. And I'm thinking about like when shows are a thing again, like how are we, how how are artists, a lot of artists going to be picking like their sets back up, especially ones that have been dropping a lot of new material, working on completely new material in this, in this quarantine. Mm-hmm. Like it's like a lot of art, like where it's like, where are artists going to like sort of navigate themselves again? It's going to be different for everybody, you know, like whether or not you, you know, like, are you going back to your, really old stuff that was pre-COVID yeah. or are you going to be promoting all your new stuff you've been working on in this mm-hmm. tumultuous time? Yeah. Like I've been really thinking about that a lot. Like just what are, how are artists kind of, kind of pick their creative identities back up when things are, I think shows are. Yeah. Thinking. I mean, that will be interesting to see. I think like all things have been going on this past year, I mean, nothing's going to be a light switch. We're not just going to flip it on and all of a sudden shows are back. I think there's going to be some of that uh, just gradual rollout because as, as excited as I am to stand in Cactus Club and watch a show, like people are going to, this is like, there is going to be some post-trauma to all this. I think people are, you know, it's, it's going to change the way people approach everything, even when it's okay. So it's going to be a gradual rollout. What I really hope for is, as far as the performing arts community goes, is that it can, you know, sort of take off from where it left off. I, I it, you know, everybody's hurting so much these days that it's, it's going to be really difficult to try to rebuild so I just really hope that we can take off where we left off. I, I, I know, you know, there's a hundred thousand bands that are all going to want to hit the road right away. So I just hope that there's room for everybody. There's reception to everybody. And I hope for all those things to be there. But like I said, there's going to be, you know, some sort of post-traumatic kind of things after yeah. all this that I just, yeah, I just hope the, I hope that it's a rebuild. Um, or that it's secure enough to just take off from where it left off. Yeah. Part of it's like, man, what are we going to talk to people about? <laughs> when, yeah. Like you see your friend that you haven't seen in a year. Oh, so uh, how was your quarantine? Yeah. You know, well, like they're going to be like, what vaccine did you get? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pfizer or Moderna. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, um, no, it's, it, and I think too, like one thing that this past year has definitely taught me because you know, before all this, I was so busy with this project, that project, this schedule, that schedule, all this stuff. And it was, and everything was just like, get it out, get it out, get it out, go, go, go. I think this has sort of helped shape the idea of like, we don't just have to be creating content. We have to be creating quality. We have to create something that's meaningful and that's lasting and it's like, you talk about, you know, are people going to go to pre-COVID material or stuff that they've been working on? It's just like, I think, I think there's been just like this sort of awakening to the idea of like, we don't have to feed the machine anymore because the machine's not feeding us. 
Yes. So we have to like, just create the things you want to create at the rate you want to create them. Don't feel pressured to yeah feed this machine that is clearly not helping anybody. Um, Right. You know, there's there's a lot of I actually this past year I I pulled all the adopt a highway stuff from the streamers and it's just on Bandcamp because I mean and I canceled my Spotify subscription that I had for a while and it's just it's just one of those things where it's just like yeah I can't can't be involved in that anymore and it's you know and I understand that is is a a way that a lot of people connect with stuff but. Like I like I'm saying, I think this past year has taught or helped shape the idea that like we need to approach things more organically, more connectedly, and yeah. just see things as they come rather than just continually to consume content. Right. Yeah. At the at the ridiculous the absurd pace that we have in the few, in the past, right. where yeah, everything is just so instant gratification driven um but you know definitely in the past year i have found the the, the value and the beauty of Bandcamp for sure yeah. um and i encourage everybody both artists and listeners to uh definitely get on that platform because yeah. that's the way music consumption should look like right. um the last thing uh was uh so I know you said that it's been pretty much a year since you played with any of your other projects. Um, but I, I guess I'm curious, just like if you have any updates from any of them, just like sort of like on a virtual level, perhaps of like, are you guys working on anything like Argo Pelter, Tontine, etc.? I mean, of course I stay in touch with all those people and, you know, I, I, I text and talk and chat with them regularly, but I, I, yeah, I think it's, it's one of those things that, yeah, it's just, if, until we're on the other side of this, it's just so hard to put energy into this, this great unknown, yeah. you know, everybody is trying to hold each other up, which is good. And, you know, some, sometimes we, we talk about all the great stuff that could come Sometimes we get nostalgic for the past. You know, I just I just texted Devin and Chris earlier today saying, you guys, it's been a year since Argo Pelter. And I was just like, man, you know, we just miss that, miss that so much. But yeah, I think I think we're everyone's we're just looking forward to the other side of this. And now there is, you know, maybe not a, I mean, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. It's hard to tell if how how brightly it's lit, but like it's there. And I think until, yeah, because it, it, this past year has been one of those things where it's just like people want to create, people want to stay motivated, but then there's just this like looming doom and, and then you got to get the, get the weight of like, well, what's the point? Cause yeah. nothing's, you know, nothing's going to change kind of thing. So I, I think as far as, you know, the, creative output of some of those other projects. I think it'll be a lot, it could be a lot real quickly when this is all over, you know? <laughs> I think I think that's gonna make feel, people feel better when we're in a space together safely, all vaxxed up and we're like, hey, we can do it now and it means something. Yeah. Um, so I think until that time comes, you know, we'll see, but hopefully it's not too far away. I agree. Um, 
the light at the end of the tunnel is going to come with terms and conditions. For sure. <laughs> terms and conditions that we have to read. <laughs> yes, you got to read them because you can't just check the box and hope that it's going to be okay. We have That's to, right. Have to read them. Yeah. Right. Yes. Um, so as we're closing out, Barry, um, I ask everyone the same two questions. Uh, the first is what keeps you up at night? Oh, um, very literally. Um, I mean, I've, I've been having some serious, serious insomnia issues. Um, and I think it's been a combination of medications that I've been on, some antidepressants that I've been working with, I think I've been keeping me up at night. Um, and I've actually very recently started, I started to switch uh, some dosages and the past few nights have felt pretty good. And trust me, I've run the gamut of melatonin, L-theanine, valerian, all yeah. that stuff that everybody takes. And it's just like, I get like little two hour windows and then I'm up and then, you know, it's about, so very literally, I think my medication has been keeping me up at night, but then also, you know, just the, the kind of the uncertainty and the, the doom that I was kind of mentioning a second ago, like just the unknowns of um, what the other side of this is gonna look like. I mean, everybody has just been beaten up and rolled over and, and no one's been taken care of. And we've all just been, you know, struggling to follow the protocols, follow the parameters, but then we're also trying to stay fed and trying to pay the bills and survive. Trying to have, yeah, trying to survive and have a little security in our lives. And like, if, if no one's going to take, if no one above us is going to take care of us, we have to take care of each other. And, and it's just, it's just these things that like, yeah, it, it's, it's that sort of, that, that sort of dread of like, is it going to be better when we are on the other side of this? Oh yeah. You know, that's, that's a, that's a heavy thought and you think too long yeah. and all of a sudden you're staring at the ceiling all night. Oh yeah. The, the new normal is going to look different. Absolutely. It will certainly, um, yeah. like life will never be the same, but that being said, yeah. Like taking care of each other. I think we've really like, um, cultivated a new meaning in that in that uh notion mm -hmm. like what it means to take care of each other right in, in time yeah. in harsh times and uh and also um i relate to you on the antidepressants the medication because my antidepressants give me really vivid dreams um like very <laughs> vivid dreams mm -hmm. uh and the details are getting Sometimes I feel like they get more and more specific as time goes on, but um, but it's kind of interesting, I guess. But yeah, med meds are tricky. Yeah, they are, dude. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the flip side question is, uh, what puts you to sleep? I think I think the support and encouragement and love from partner my friends my family um just kind of knowing as much as i can get in my own head and want to project and catastrophize all these things that i do um have a really good support system 
you know, my, my partner's super supportive. My friends are super supportive. I have a really loving family. So, you know, as much as I want to hurl myself into the void of doom, I know that like, there's going to be a net to catch me. So I think that that helps uh, lower the heart rate a little bit. Yeah. 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 I, I agree. It's sometimes we, you know, we trap ourselves. Yeah. Our own, like you said, our own doom infested minds, but you know, when you, especially like when you have a good, like good interaction with your friends or check in or. Right. Just do something that really, like, you know, nurtures your core. Um, it's, it's assuring, for sure. Yeah, and sometimes, too, I, I, I have to, you know, be really cognizant of this, but it's, you know, because I can, you know, get into a depressive or anxious state, I'll forget that, like, I can be that support net to somebody else. Yeah. So sometimes, you know, when I'm feeling down, I can think about, Hey, this person reached out to me. It made me feel good. I should reach out to them, you know. And sometimes people forget that if if you do have that 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 privilege of having a really nice support system, like try to be somebody else's too, you know. And like we've been talking about all night too. Like I want to mention too, like the mental health thing. Like it can be stigmatized, but that's when when the mental health is like off of the radar and sort of in the darkness. That's where it grows stronger. So like it needs to be talked about, it needs to yeah. be destigmatized, it needs to be brought into the light. It's gonna yeah. be there, but as long as it's seen and recognized and you're cognizant yeah. of it and other people are cognizant of theirs and yours and and you know, like yeah. that's that's how it's helped. And that's another conversation that I think is evolving as we speak. Yes. Um with with uh quarantine and the pandemic and everything like Mm -hmm. because what does mental health advocacy look like when we're talking about like reaching out and getting help and stuff well that is like you know in theory that's a practical solution but but as you mentioned earlier which you're absolutely right about where it's like if people from if people or forces from above aren't taking care of us, then what are we supposed to do? And in that sense, it's like, well, sometimes people can't like afford accessible treatment or resources or medication. Um, Insurance itself is a hellscape. So it's, I think the conversation is also shifting about mental health, about like how a lot of people, for one, people's mental health would be better if they were just taken care of money right if they had money if they had security if they had if they know that they could reach out to something and it's gonna be there for them that's right you know if they know they can call the number and say i'm feeling this way and someone's gonna be on the other side to say we'll take care of it yeah Yeah. oh yeah these are these are big picture things to consider for sure but i appreciate you bringing them up barry thanks for being on the show Thank you so much, Ben. I appreciate this a lot. This was a nice, this is a fun little, little chat, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a good time. Um, yeah. yeah. For everyone watching, um, I'll be tagging adopt a highway. Uh, so you can uh, listen to um, uh, his records uh, on Bandcamp, And then uh, also Argo Pelter 
uh, field report, um, Tontine Ensemble, and Jack Catania Trio. Um, all of which I'll also be tagging. Um, yeah, a lot of music to check out. Uh, um, thanks for watching, Mr. Nice Guy, as always. Uh, we hope you're uh, staying uh, uh, happy, healthy, and safe in these uh, complicated times. Um, but we're uh, light, light at the end of the tunnel with the terms and conditions. That's, that's what, right. that's that's what right. we, uh, we, boiled, we, we came up with uh, yes. yeah. this episode. So uh, thanks for watching, Mr. Nice Guy. We'll see you next time. Yeah, 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 yeah.